Welcome in to a normal edition of At The Buzzer. I feel the need to say that, I guess. I don't have another superlative for this episode. Um, we are coming back talking about Colorado Buffaloes, obviously. As two members of the Ralph Report staff, I'm Jack. He is Sam. Sam, yeah, say hello. How's it going? Hello, hello. Um, well, we were just talking about how much nothing we're doing tonight, so it's a good time to record. Um, we have not that much news, but a bunch of, uh, action on the basketball side, which will turn into news. And we brought out a, a bit. We haven't done a bit in this podcast since, I don't know what last summer. Yeah. Please. I'm trying to, I want to have more fun on the pod. I don't want to just <laughs> do like news and like game analysis. Right. That can be boring. Right. And we're bad at those. So let's have, we're better at the fun side. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully this is fun for everyone to listen to. It was fun for us, and the enthusiasm will show while we play. <laughs> uh, before that, like, I guess I'm also enthused to talk about some other things. Uh, like I said, football is in the midst of hiring some things, but there hasn't been any news on this front in the past week or so, maybe a little more. There have been a few other notes we want to talk about, but really nothing that we need to collect and get out, out front. So uh, we're going to start with the biggest news of this week, which was what looked to be, well, you know what? I'm just going to say it. For three out of four halves was a disastrous road trip uh, for your Colorado basketball Buffaloes. And I, I said this on Twitter, and this is going to be my starting salvo. I just hate going to the state of Washington to play basketball games. Nothing ever goes well there. Have we won at Washington in the past, what, five years? Hmm. That's a question I don't know off the top of my head, which tells me no, because I feel like I remember <laughs> I, I win. Um, but certainly not recently. Man. Yeah, that sucked, that game. I. How, do you, how would you describe the Washington loss in five words or less? Five words or less. Um. Everything went wrong. That sucks. <laughs> There's my yeah, five. I think I want to say like one team hit shots and the other didn't. I realize that's more that's like seven words, but I don't really care. Um it's just how do you go one of eighteen on threes? Well, how do you go one of 18 on threes? And let me double check this here after shooting a solid 35% the rest of the year. And I guarantee before Washington, that number is higher than 35%. It was definitely higher than 35% because we were commenting on it last pod. Yeah, there's still upper half in the, the country, but that, I mean, I'm less so, upset about that because we scored 80 points. I think what I'm yeah. more upset about is the fact that Washington was throwing in garbage for 40 minutes. And CU also didn't defend the non-garbage as they should have. Someone pointed out on Twitter, I forgot who it was, so I apologize for listening, that if you if both teams shot 33% from three, CU would have won by 23. Oh, God, is... don't tell me that. <laughs> oh. But yeah, to your point, I, I was so sick and tired of Marcus Sahonis just tossing in garbage 
the whole game. 27 points off the bench. 27 points on 13 shots. That was so fucking stupid. And, well, it, so he was never really left open. I checked his percentages. He's shooting like 25 to 30% on three for the year. And it was just it, – it was so frustrating to watch him and that other random dude, Eric Stevenson, chuck in shot after shot after shot, seemingly at the same spot, seemingly over great defense. And I know that CU also didn't protect the paint like they should have, and there's a few other lapses. I mean, CU should have won this game. I, I don't want to just say Washington made shots, blah, blah, blah. CU absolutely should have won this game. This is yes. not a game that a, a team that has CU's aspirations should lose. That's just that's, It just isn't. Washington is not that good of a team. However, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, and the, they, they look – it was just like it was – Every single three CU had in my not every single one, but most of them in my view were wide open or really good looks. They wasn't really they weren't forcing threes up that weren't hitting. Even that last possession where I believe Jariah Horn got a wide open look to tie it potentially. It's like that is exactly the play you want to draw up. That's great execution by the players, a great play you want to draw up for your last possession. And the guy who should be taking that last shot, Jariah Horn, who's shooting like what, 40%? 43% from three this year. Uh, he's shooting uh, 43% from three on 61 attempts. Like that's the dude you want to take that shot and didn't go in like every other shot didn't go in. That game was gross. Ugh, I hated it. That's my rant. I don't. So it's, it's hard for me to conceptualize this game outside of those. Like the, the one team made threes, but the other team didn't do you, is, was there anything substantial about CU's defense that was just, like, something we could learn from? Or is there any really learning lessons from the game itself other than that shitty, let's move on? Yeah, I think um, I'd like them to do a little more forcing of the foul line. I think they did a good job of that in this in throughout the game, but I think they could have gone to that well a little more, especially with the fouls, the way that the refs were calling the fouls in that game. Yeah. The other point I don't want to lose is I believe there were 31 fouls called in that game, which is – disgusting um that was a hor- that was a really gross game yeah and that. it was just like maybe those were all fouls but there's no flow at all and um everyone is in foul trouble the whole game washington had like three guys foul out i, I don't know it was just an ugly game and i think cu needs to get more comfortable their offense is efficient but i think they need to get more comfortable making it ugly and forcing the refs to either call a foul or let them get a bucket um I have said this over and over and over and over and over again. I'm going to continue to say it. Deshaun Schwartz is the second best driver on this team. And the fact that he doesn't drive whenever he gets the ball, especially late in late in clock is so frustrating to me. Um, It's his senior year. We get glimpses. He's not going to be someone he's not. And he's just not that guy, which is annoying because I feel like Mm -hmm. he can draw so many fouls with his weird left, left left-handed off schedule finishes same with McKinley. I wish he got the whistles Peyton Pritchard did. I said that on Twitter, and I wish he also was aggressive going to the hoop like Peyton Pritchard was. But he's not Peyton Pritchard. He's, uh, in my opinion, just as good as better. He's just a different player. So I don't know. I, I want CU to get more comfortable mucking it up on offense. And I also, on defense, it was hard. It was Dallas Walton's first game back. But really, the lateral agility from the bigs was so rough to watch, I thought. Horn is who he is. He's not that guy on defense. Batty is better, but he's still not that guy. They're both positional defenders, 
right? They know how to get into the mm-hmm. right spot. And I think Walton was getting a little rusty. He also is not an athletic freak. Jabari is the only guy that can move around like that, but he's new. He doesn't really know how to do that. So And he fouls the shit out of people. Right. Washington was one of those games where he did okay on offense, but it was like, dude, you are <laughs> you are playing defense to like hit the guys in the arms. It was it was tough to watch. <laughs> um I want to move on. Can we move on? Uh, yeah, we can. I, yeah, I, it's just, this sucks. Cause this, if, like I said, here's my transition, but if we move forward and look at the Washington state game and we look at that Washington game as a, like a shitty victory as a victory that was bad. See, you played bad and yet they won. This team is like in a really, really good position. And unfortunately that didn't happen. And unfortunately they're just an okay position because this, this Washington state game was one of the favorite road games I've watched since I've started watching CU basketball. Why was that? Just because, like, oh, I mean, like, they got punched in the mouth. McKinley Wright got hurt, and they just slowly climbed back, and then dominated the second half. I guess I, the first half was just so rough watching. Like, you literally turned it off, so you didn't see it when it was like exactly. That's part of why it's one of my favorite games to watch. I skipped the. Well, that's not true. So I, I also looked this up. By the way, you asked, I answer. Um, the last time CU won at Washington was in 2014, and that was the Askia Booker CBI year, which is oh. crazy to me that they won that game. I think that's the only time we've won there. Josh Scott had 21 points, uh, and Andrew Andrews for Washington had 20. <laughs> Forgot that guy existed. Yeah, there you go. They had a weird team. Anyways, um, I did not. I actually watched through the worst of it. So I watched through the 20. 20- for reference, CU started out losing 23 to 5. So I watched mm-hmm. through that garbage, and then I also watched McKinley Wright go down. He wasn't getting up. And then, you know, it was like five minutes, he was face down on the floor. I don't know if you watched that, but I did. Did you see scary. the guy who dove onto the side of his leg? Yeah. So it, it looked like it was pretty rough. I didn't think it was, uh, I mean, it was obviously a contact injury, and I thought it was season ending. Tab Oil's out there talking to him. That's never a good sign. So at that point, I was like, look, CU's going to blow up this game. They're down 23 to 5. Their best player just went out on the floor, which is bad for morale. Like, I don't, there's no way that CU wins this game. So I just mm-hmm. said, I don't want to watch this. It looked gross. Uh, so what I missed, I guess, was the Evan Batty show taking him back up. Um, so you can speak I think to he that scored. a little more. Yeah, I think he, he just started being a really aggressive. So taking jump shots, taking guys off the dribble. I think he scored 12 points in the first half, but yeah, he was really taking command. Um, I don't think we've really seen that version of him very often. So that was good to see. Washington State's on the smaller side, so they don't have anybody who could guard him. And then uh, Deshaun and Jariah Horn both hit some big shots. And it seemed like those two or those three studied the team a lot until, uh, until everything came back. Yeah, I uh, so I, I missed all of that. I do want to point out though, I mean, even against Washington, when Jariah Horn's shot wasn't falling, he had what 25 points or something insane. That guy's Washington? presence on offense is so good for this team. Yeah, let me look it up for you. Um, against Washington, Jariah Horn, points. yeah, 24 points, and you know, like he shot, let's see, one for three from three. Um, 
he got to the line against Washington. And the same thing with Washington. I think he's such a steadying presence against his own, against man, just because he knows yeah. how to get to his spot. He knows how to get to his shots, and he knows how to get to the line. Um, he yeah, horn, really, against, yeah. horn against Washington. I for, I forgot I because it feels like a, two weeks ago that game happened. Yeah. But, uh, no, Horn was so good, and he just kept turning around right in that zone, finding those jumpers. It was really nice to watch. So shout out to Horn. He also didn't actually score that much against Washington State, but he he stepped up when he had to. Yeah, and I, I see I, I turned it on at the start of the second half. I saw the CU battle back, um, and you spoke to that a little bit. But um, I guess I'll let you finish up your thoughts. I basically have two main things why I loved watching this game. So I'll let you finish it up, and then I'll, I'll, I'll talk about those two things. No, go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, number <laughs> one, I, I I think every single – anyone who's following CU basketball or talking about CU basketball is talking about this, but – uh, it is an absolute pleasure watching Eli Parquet play defense. Um, and I see you've had good defenders. Derek White, I think, also was really fun to watch play defense. And obviously, Dinwiddie, Tad Boyle knows how to make his guards play deep. McKinley Wright is great defense, but it's less of a fun to watch and more of a, like, oh, my God, he's just suffocating. I think <laughs> Eli Parquet does this thing I love and – and he's done this a few times now where he'll basically let the defending the guard get a half step on him when they're driving to the hoop. So you can mm-hmm. watch it. He did this like five times in the Washington state game where the, the guard will think Isaac Bonton in this example, who was fun to watch, but mm-hmm. he, he thinks he has a lane to the rack. Eli Parquet basically lets him cut him off and it trails him right behind. And he says this LeBron James thing where the guy will throw up a layup and Eli Parquet is already in the air and he just knocks that ball out because he knows he can get there. And that's just like, it's so fun to have that kind of defender to watch. He took charges. He got four blocks against Washington state. They credited him with no steals, but he got his hand in the passing lane so often. And he's taking the best guy every single time, every time. And the most fun thing about all of this is he did all this while scoring zero points. And I think he had two shot attempts, one shot attempt. Yeah. I was about to say, um, I was going to talk about Parquet. I thought you had other thoughts. But, uh, yeah, Parquet was, what, their third best player in that game, and he took two shots. Yeah. He's just so much fun, and he had another monster defensive game against Washington. I think he had four steals and three blocks. And so he's just really turning a corner, just shredding people right now. It's so fun. And I don't think CU has had a more disruptive defensive guard in Tad Boyle's era. Disruptive is a good word to use. I don't know if they have, because his defense is pinned on not disruption, but suffocation, right? He doesn't try to go for steals. Tad Boyle doesn't correct. Like he doesn't ask people to chase passing lanes and all that stuff. He basically Mm -hmm. says, stay in front of your guy, make them use 30 seconds, put up a bad shot, get the board. Um, And either parquet does that, but more than that, he also generates negative plays. Um, I think Derek White was a joy for me because he took more charges than anyone I've ever seen and he was always in the right spot, but he never really took the next step of generating the blocks or... Um, Derek White was a really good shot blocker at CU. I, I think he was a really good shot blocker, but I also, I, I think his impact was more on constantly being, counting the ball and making sure that the other guy had to work really hard for shots. I don't know if he was as disruptive as Eli Parquet and it was and that's not a slant on Derek White it's just that Eli Parquet is that crazy right so 
I think Derek White was more disruptive than you think he was. Okay. Because he had like a few like four or five block games. Um, he was also like the only guard in the country to like average like however many points, however many blocks, and however many steals. Um, yeah, he had four blocks against Stanford, four blocks against Utah. Like, yeah, he, he just did it occasionally. I know he won the Xavier game with a two-handed block against the backboard at the end. That was so sick. Yeah, so I just I just think that Parquet is just an elite defender who's adding so much to the defense right now. I hope he makes the all-defensive Pac-12 team. It's going to be ridiculous if he doesn't make it. I don't know where you stand on anything like that. Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think he will just because he, he doesn't have the stats um, offensively either. But I, this is the other thought I had about this game is I think this game uh, offered us a nice glimpse into what the program might look like next year just because we got to see really extended minutes without McKinley granted in a weird spot. And mm-hmm. um, we got to see guys step up like Evan Batty being aggressive, which I missed. Eli Parquet song in his role, Jabari Walker doing what he does now, I guess that's like a thing that we can count on, which is wild. And um, just some other contributions to the point where I think what we'll see next year is pretty similar to what we saw after that 23 and five. So I think we'll see Evan Batty calling his shot, his own shot a little more. I think we'll see um, Jabari Walker being a, the main option on offense. And uh, I, I don't think that Keyshawn Bartholomew did that poorly. I think he needs to look – he doesn't have the vision yet, but I, I think he also brought some like quickness that – or I shouldn't say that, but suddenness and length that I didn't see um, from McKinley, which obviously isn't a bad thing. Uh, it's just the, the different players. I, I loved him splitting the top of the 2-3 zone. I, I also said that on Twitter. I think he can do a good good things against the half-court offense with his length and athleticism. Uh, I don't know. It was fun to watch because you could look at how it's helping right now, but you could also look at, well, maybe next year you bring in a few more shooters like Lovering and Allen. You bring in some guys, some big guys, and uh, you can see how it's not going to be an immediate drop-off, even though you're losing a top-three, top-four player in program history. Yeah, I, I will say that I want Bartholomew to – he doesn't really get set when on his shots. He's, like, off balance on all his floaters, and he takes some really bad jumpers. And he, I think his jump shot's a little sketchy just in general. Like, it's not very accurate. And so I'm just a little worried about him right now, but I, I think he'll take some pretty big steps moving forward because he is such a young player. Um, I was also going to say that – in the Washington game, McKinley Wright picked up two early fouls. Mm-hmm. And Parquet was the one who was initiating a lot of the offense against the zone. And he was throwing some really, really nice passes. I don't know if you noticed that. I think the passing's there. I don't I I also think I think Parquet will do okay. I don't want to rely on him. No, no, no. I'm not saying that he's gonna be the point guard. I'm just saying that it's nice to have uh like your defensive specialist also be able to initiate offensive every once in a while. Well, yeah. The ultimate dream with him is that at some point, um, Parquet gets more confident in his offense. I like the look of his shot. I think he rises up really easily, especially off the dribble. Mm -hmm. He likes to do that. Um, I want to see him go a little more as a slasher. Um, 
because I think he attacks the rim really well. So I want to see him get there a little more. And I don't know. I think we'll see a lot. Of, it was just exciting to see a little bit of 2021, 2022 in this game as CU has a giant comeback. And uh, we hadn't even talked about that. They went from 18 down to 18 up in like 20 minutes of, of yeah. game time. It was wild. And Mc- Did we even talk about like McKinley Wright just coming back from a knee injury and just putting the team on his back in the second half? That's crazy. <laughs> he was so good. Well, I so I guess I'll disagree. I don't think he did put the team on his back. Okay, okay, okay. I was exaggerating. Well, yeah, I think it was. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's going to be hard to condition. It's hard for myself to condition that what we're seeing is not normal. What we're seeing is cannot be expected from uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew next year or any guard in the next 10 years or any guard in the next 20 years for CU. Um, this is like a gen- he is a generational player, and you're seeing a generational player be insane in a good way. Like he should not probably have come back into that game, uh, but he played a whole season with a torn shoulder. So like you're not going to stop him. It's it's it, I don't know. I'm to borrow from Tab Boyle. I don't know what else you can say about a guy like because we've said so much about him the next four last four years. Um. He is in the Mount Rushmore, absolutely, of, of Colorado basketball. And it's fun to watch a living legend while he's living and playing. Well, I think CU, what, has three retired numbers? Cliff Mealy uh, is four retired, Chauncey Billups. Yeah, four is retired, and then okay. Bertie Haldorfson. That makes sense. Haldorfson. Haldorfson. Um, do, you, do you consider retiring 25 for – it would be McKinley and Dinwiddie. Uh, it's, it's or good you... enough. Well, or, or is it, the Oh, who does that? Is that Duke? Who does that with that number? Um, well, it's like a, pass down. it's like a soccer thing to just pass down your best numbers to your best players. There's some, there's some program that does that in college basketball. I wish I knew. Um, I certainly don't. I know there's one for West Virginia for a defensive stopper. Like Jay, it might be zero for like Javon Carter and, and a bunch of other dudes for Bob Huggins. But, um, you could also make it that you make it the official I'm the boss number, like the official look at me. I'm King shit. Right. Yeah. That would be fantastic. I would be very happy with that. Uh, Cause it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to, I mean, Dinwiddie and Wright are two, the two of the top three point. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll say two of the top <laughs> three point guards in CU history. So over Jay Humphreys. I was, I was going to say he was up there and um, yeah, but I, God, he's just so special. I mean, Mm-hmm. He just guts it out every time. Seven boards on a bum knee is stupid. He got a block shot. He drew a charge. It's like, I don't even know. You're, you're not going to see that for the rest. You're just not going to see that for the next decade. Um, yeah. And you're not going to see that in any other Pac-12 team. It's just something that no one else has in the country. And I hope oh. he gets a, a career-recognizing player of the year. He probably doesn't deserve it on this year alone, but he deserves something like that for his year. I said that, and you scalded me for it, saying that if he wins it, it would be a career award. Uh, yeah, because I didn't realize that Oscar De Silva would continue to do this garbage, and that Evan Mobley will take over. But um, you're right. <laughs> um, speaking of just the Pac-12 as a whole, did you see that Utah lost to Washington too? I'm looking at the standings. Also right by now. four, yeah. Yeah, that sucks. And they are ready um, to fire Larry Kostowiak, which I think would be a mistake. Oh, no, don't do that. Okay, uh, do you see CU competing for the Pac-12 title? 
So right now they're UCLA's first at eight and one in conference. CU is third at six and three. So this is why, also why I was upsetting to lose that Washington game because almost everyone else dropped one this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. Oregon dropped one against Oregon State at home, which is bad. It was news. a great game to watch. Yeah, yeah, I watched a little bit of that. Just shot to Freud. I just um, wanted to let people know that I was watching college basketball. <laughs> um, UCLA dropped one at the buzzer against Stanford, which was also very upsetting. Um, and right now, CU is squarely in the top four, so the tied with Oregon technically on win percentage, uh, but Oregon's played way less games, so. Um, they, they will lose some and CU will probably lose some as well. The other nice thing to think about is CU doesn't have to be in the top four this year to actually get a top four bye. They seem to be in the top five because Arizona doesn't get to play in the Pac-12 tournament. So Wait, they don't get to play in the Pac-12 tournament? No, postseason ban. Though that means Pac-12 tournament too? I, I didn't know that. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That that takes pressure off. Well, there's only what, five good teams? Um, I don't think so. I think there's I think there's more than that. I I would put uh, Stanford there probably. Yeah, I would say Stanford and Arizona are both pretty solid. So I think there's six. Um, okay. If if you look at well, if we're looking ahead, CU has a nice opportunity here. I doubt anyone else has a more favorable next five games than CU does in conference. Mm-hmm. Um, all five are at home. Washington State is back to back, and and I think the way that the last game went is probably the best possible scenario for CU on a back-to-back. Everything went right for Washington State and they still lost by 11. Yeah, and CU knows enough now to be like, okay, well, we kind of have to put them away early and then just cruise. Um, mm-hmm. You have a team you've already beat on the road and Utah coming in. You have ASU, which is just imploding. Um, nice job, Thank Bobby. God. And then the hardest <laughs> matchup is uh, Arizona at home. So we'll see how that goes. But they lost Jamarl Baker for the year, who who torched oh, you for a little bit. Yes. Um, you know, I, it's just it, it's a nice opportunity to, to string some wins together in places where the people above them might not be able to do that. Um, I can. So if we look at, for instance, U.S. We also have we finished with Oregon State. That's the fifth game, by the way. Reschedule that home. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm a little worried about Oregon State just because of the way they always screw with us yeah so and they've beat asu usc and oregon the past two weeks which is pretty good or last week they just beat the that they're playing better they that usc game was a drop i don't think that was necessarily oregon state being good i think that usc just gave up like it was rough um and but they're dangerous oregon state is dangerous i think cu matches up well away from ethan thompson who always eats mckinley rice lunch um unfortunately they don't have kyla kelly which is nice no, but they do have a, another giant, and they don't have Trace Tinkle, which is nice. Um, but anyways, everyone above CU has a harder next five games. So USC plays Oregon mm-hmm. and UCLA, both at home, but both really tough matchups. And then they do the Washington road trip, um, as well as playing Oregon State at home. So not that bad, but I bet they drop at least one of those. If we look at UCLA's next five, they also get Oregon at home. Uh, they play Oregon again. They play Oregon twice. Uh, and then they play at USC. So I guarantee UCLA is going to drop one of those. We're looking at a, a place where CU can get within a, a game of the conference leader, and I don't think they'll get there, but um, it's exciting. It's like it, they're going to be in the race. Mm-hmm. Are you are you worried about the the back to back road trips later on in the schedule? 
them playing Stanford, Cal, Oregon, Oregon State on the road? Uh, well, I, define worried. <laughs> I think this so, team will lose one of those games at least. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. I mean, like, like, are you worried that they might like lose three in a row or something like that? I don't where think it this, feels game like... will, this team will implode. No. Okay. I was going to say where it feels like an implosion, even if it was three straight tough games. Yeah. So I, if you look at Ken Palm, uh, which I know you are right now, you can yeah. see that CU is, they have three conference losses. And even though they are technically projected to win the rest of the games uh, by Ken Palm, they are mm-hmm. actually projected in terms of total loss, aggregate losses, three more. So um, I think that's a fair play i think that cu mm-hmm. might will drop at least one at home and then uh will probably lose to at oregon and at stanford which i think doesn't that's still a really good team a, a tournament team it's it's just that it, that's a long stretch so if you beat that i think you're in really good shape if you win out at home in general i think you're in really good shape um, if you win out of home and also only lose one of the remaining road games out of the four, so if you That's only a, lose at Oregon, you're in a, amazing shape. I mean, you win the Pac-12 title if you only lose that game. Potentially, yeah, I, or at least you're, I mean, you're in in the right there with. That would put you at sixteen and four, conference. Yeah, which would be really tough to beat. And that's, that oh. puts you in the conversation, depending on how the tournament goes, for like a three seed, four seed, five seed. Yeah, also, like, the, the tournament's pretty wide open. Like, UCLA's had a fairly easy schedule so far. They also don't blow games they shouldn't lose. Um, but, like, come Pac-12 tournament time, like, I don't know, in a vacuum, CU might be the best team in the conference. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say they don't blow games they shouldn't lose. Like Stanford game was without the best player or the second best player. Uh, and two Zaire of the Williams starters. was out. Yeah. yeah. So Before that, though, they, they have – no, no bad losses. They are. I mean, you're going to make me do this. This is actually pretty good Go to what we were doing, but um, they are my favorite other team in the Pac-12. Absolutely. They're you really good. Is? Yeah. They're, they're really balanced. They have experience. Um, I love the way their bigs play, which is no must, no fuss. Just give me, give it to me. And I'm going to bully someone down and score on them. Uh, specifically Cody Riley. Uh, Tiger Campbell is a great guy to watch. I would recommend watching UCLA basketball if you're mm-hmm. at, at all interested in college basketball because I think – I don't know. I did not think Mick Cronin would work out like this, uh, but here we are. This is also where I mentioned that I bought a UCLA basketball jersey before I ever had a CU one, which is – Well, it's oof. it's like the brand. Gorgeous colors, the, the classic blue blood. Yeah, it's Russell Westbrook too. <laughs> um do you want to move on to the all crush team because that's it's a pretty fun way to go right so yeah i um what this isn't these aren't drafts for us but basically want to yeah. talk about now that we're halfway a little more into the college basketball season just some players that we've seen this year um that make our hearts flutter make our uh knees go weak um and make me wish that cu recruited them uh, and in fact, in some cases they have. So um, <laughs> I don't know. It, it basically just a, a way for us to talk about our favorite players outside of CU because I'm just doing that. So I tried to pick players who weren't too good because like I tend to follow the NBA draft really closely. So I don't want to just pick like Jalen Suggs and Cade Cunningham because they're like just too good. So I wanted to focus on like 
either mid-tier stars or like really good role players in college basketball. Okay, and your your first submission is? I didn't know if he was too good or not, but I really love James Booknight at UConn. I'm also going to go down like point guard to center and then the bench. So I'll start from the top down. I'm going to go with James Booknight. The, okay. He's just like electric UConn guard, really good ups. And I just like watching his pull-up mid-range game. It's really nice. Okay. I have seen exactly zero of him this year. So. Oh, okay. Well, you can treat yourself to some highlights because that's all I've seen. All right. Next. Next. Oh, uh, one-time CU recruit, current Gonzaga triple-double machine, uh, Joel Ayayi. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, he's just the defense and rebounding combo guard who would have been so perfect on the buffs. Yeah, alas, so he's for on the reference, best team in the country. He is like all Gonzaga recruits except for Jalen Suggs. Uh, Joel Ayayi is a foreign recruit, so he's from France. And Bill Greer, who's on CU staff, used to run the foreign scouting department for Mark Few way back when at Gonzaga. So, um, they're swimming in the same waters and, and they, they both identified him pretty early. Um, I would also choose Gonzaga if I was a recruit. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, good point. And that's why it's like, he's insane. And Mark few has such a great track record with, with foreign players. So I, you know, God, he's good though. That's, yeah, I, uh, that's why Parquet could, if Parquet was like a million times better and this is not a kiss against Parquet. <laughs> That's exactly what he could be. A guy who rebounds so hard and uh, gets his shots through, like, cutting and, and offensive boards and garbage, and it's oh, it's just beautiful. Yeah, I, if I had a captain of this team, it would be Ayayi. He's just, like, the player I wish that was on CU. And my second captain would be Jaime Jaquez from UCLA. Mm-hmm. Just I just love a big combo guard who just blocks a shit ton of shots. Mm-hmm. he is so fucking fun he just reminds me like I, I always had a crush I've talked about him too much on here but a crush on uh, Andre Kirilenko a crush on KG McDaniels of just like those shot blocking forwards who just come out of nowhere and get that shit out of here and he's super polished on offense he's like he can run an offense it's so fun he can do everything Ugh, he would be f- perfect 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 on CU yeah, he's a um, nice little wing player. All right, then my last two starters um, are, are Ron Harper Jr. at Rutgers. Yeah. And then Sandro Mamu Kaleshvili at Seton Hall. These are both, like, just two really weird games. Like, Ron Harper Jr. is just, a, like, a unit. He's so thick. He's, yeah. like, 6'6", 250, and runs their offense. And then Sandro Mamu is uh, just, like, a weird do-it-all point center. And he has really deep shooting range. He's just really strange. You know what he reminds me of? Like we were just talking about that Seton Hall. He plays on Seton Hall. And he, we were talking about that Seton Hall team from a few years ago that had the three seniors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angel Delgado, who was just a beast in the post and got every board. Desi Rodriguez, who was a shot maker, um, wing guy, who's great on the fast break. And then Kenyon Carrington, who ran the offense and hit tough shots. And Mahmoud Kashvili reminds me of like just a combo of those three dudes put together yeah you see why i picked him though right he's awesome yeah he's good he's uh, yeah i'm less high on the big east than you 
um, this year. Uh, I mean, I'm not high on the Big East. I just like two of their players. Mm, okay. okay. <laughs> I, I do have a Villanova player on my bench, though. Yeah, so finish it up. Oh, finish it up. Okay. Um, have you watched Isaiah Miller at UC Green- UNC Greensboro? I, only the tape you sent me. Oh, my God. He is so much fun. He's just a balls-to-the-wall uh, defense and dunking point guard, and he doesn't care. He just wants to just hound people and dunk on them. It's I just love it, and I was laughing my ass off just watching that video. I would highly recommend. So that's Isaiah Miller. Um, I was also watching a rare Villanova game, and I really like just Jermaine Samuels, how he just kind of does a little bit of everything. I don't have much thought beyond that. Okay. Um, I also needed a shooter on my bench, so I picked Trey Murphy the third at Virginia because he's six foot nine and has a really like silky shot. Um, I was gonna add Eves Pond at Tennessee, the burly power forward we just saw, but they're 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 collapsing right now, so I skipped that. And then, can you look a player up for me real quick? Okay. Look up Brock Miller, Utah State. That is not the Utah State player I thought you were gonna choose. Nemes oh, Keita. Wow. <laughs> that is a Utah player. Ugh, love how his name is Brock, too. So that guy would be on my team for the energy. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> this okay. reminds me, there was a movie, an Icelandic horror movie starring the uh, uh, an albino. Is it Midsommar? Guy. No, no, no. Um, fuck. Hang on a second. The Room. Nope. Iceland horror movie. Sinister. Noi the albino. Noi the albino. Oh, it's he looks just like that guy. Albino. Okay. No, Noi the albino. He looks like that. Um. All right. My last player is uh, a guy in Utah Valley State. His name is Fardas Imac, and he is this kid who's like six foot eight, like two hundred eighty pounds. He's fat. And he just grabs every rebound, blocks a bunch of shots, and commits like five fouls a game. <laughs> wow, you went heavy on the energy. I did. I wanted those guys on my bench. Okay. Yeah. And two Utah players, neither of them on BYU. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want Matt Harms on my team. Oh, God, I hate Matt Harms. <laughs> um, okay. That's uh, a lot, and I do not put that much thought into it. I basically just went with guys I would love on my team um, that play the way I want to play. Yeah, go ahead. So, number one, Zed Key at Ohio State, uh, who's just this big boy freshman who backs people down on the post and is a black hole on offense in the best way. Um, he's getting a bucket or a foul every time, and he's just he's like 18 years old, and he's just gigantic. Um, did you did you enjoy watching Al Jefferson back in the day? Yeah, I love Al Jefferson. Okay, just checking. Uh, he was the cornerstone of my NBA 2K8 fantasy mock drafts every time. Oh, nice. Minnesota Timberwolves? Yeah. Wow, uh, okay. The classic one-two turnaround was Al Jefferson in the first round, Brandon Roy in the second round. But I digress. Oh, that's nice. Um, so, Zeki, big old post player who knows exactly what to do with the ball. Just get it up. Uh, similarly, Trevion Williams, a little more skill at Purdue, um, two Big Ten guys, but he is also a load in the post, huge offensive opportunity. Um, 
He's just the classic Purdue, Caleb Swanigan style. Uh, good luck stopping him big, which I love. So two Twin I, Towers. Anytime I hear Caleb Swanigan, I'm, I'm on board. Especially, in, and this is a college team, so these are both college players that are just going to ruin people. Um, to round out the girth, we have Mark Vidal at uh, uh, Baylor. Baylor. Baylor, who is really good, All-American good, so uh, screw your rules. But he is a 6'4", 200-pound rebounding machine who does everything except for being the number one option on offense for Baylor. Um, yeah, he, he averages six points a game, so I think he's fine. Also, you said he's – how big did you say he was? 6'4", 200-ish. He's 6'5", 250. Oh, What? <laughs> even better and he is pure energy just hustles everything he can hit open shots he's like uh kind of like um draymond in the gl- glory years at golden state i i think yeah um when you said 200 i was like wait am i thinking of the right guy but no i yeah so my, yeah, he's my fucking bowling team is full of bully ball players um and continuing uh we have marcus garrett at whatever you want to call us i mean i'm not doing any positions here he plays technically point guard for Kansas. He's uh, a wing, but yeah. He But he initiates the offense. He's a really smart player. Doesn't really force his own shots unless he has to. And he's disgusting on defense. He's one of I the like best him. defensive players. I, I thought about him and uh, Ochai Abaji on my team as well. Uh, yeah, I don't like Abaji as much because he's. He, I think he needs the ball in his hand to be successful. And I don't think Garrett does. Okay. I, I also want to give an honorable mention to Kai Jones, who I – called the breakout of and he has broken up so i'm just happy about that but i thought he was too good to have on my bench um he i like a lot of the shock of smart players actually um i love oh god what's his name matt for not foreman um, Coleman. what matt coleman matt coleman thank you Le- i love lefty guards uh continuing we have Marcus Garrett, defensive stopper, and then a point guard. I love David Duke at Providence. Not the KKK leader. Um, this is a point guard who plays for Ed Cooley. I always love Ed Cooley teams because they also play bully ball and they just try to beat you up. And David Duke is a good mixture of that. He's a huge guard. He's 6'5", a little over 200 pounds. He's averaging 18 points a game, five assists, six rebounds this year. Um and he's a nightmare on the open court. He's like a freight train. So, uh, all in all, this team is exactly what I want from, from basketball to com- completely offensively inhibited big men that just turn the ball, turn around and, and dump and throw it up from the post. You have a freight train at off at a point guard. Um, you have a defensive stopper who can cut and slash a shooting guard and a small forward. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I guess stylistically, my team would just be like five players who can all do a lot with the ball. Don't really take a primary initiative, but everybody moves and gets to the basket. And yeah, no, I, I only have two defensive stoppers, though. I'd probably go for someone a little better. Um, I, where's I, Tiger I Campbell? Out, hold on. Yeah, I have two more shout outs. I love okay, Tiger Campbell, um, but he, he doesn't beat David Duke for me. He is uh, a little bit worse. Uh, the other rules we couldn't do CU players, by the way. Um, yeah. He's a little bit, I think, worse than McKinley Wright at at all things, uh, except for maybe shooting. But he, he plays a similar role. He's ridiculously good at defense. He initiates the offense first. 
um, and he gets his buckets when he needs to. And his name is awesome, obviously, and his hair is awesome, obviously. Um, love Tiger Campbell. Another shout-out I want to give is David Roddy at Colorado State. Um, I know that a lot of CU fans probably aren't watching them this year because CU didn't have to play them. But Colorado State is ahead of schedule. They are really good, uh, especially for a Mountain West team. They um, have a lot of sophomores playing, one of them being David Roddy, who is a 6'6 wing that's conservatively 260 pounds um, and has really good handles, can drive it on his own, and gets a lot of boards. Well, this guy's huge. Yeah, he's, he's fun to watch. Um, Isaiah Stevens on that team is also fun as a lead guard. Uh, they're a cool. They're a fun team. And if you're looking for local flavor and you don't really have to worry about hating them this year because CU doesn't play them, they might make the tournament. Um, Ooh, their cursive script jerseys are nice. Yeah. Let's see, uh, Under Armour got better after they got rid of the, the stupid gray jerseys they had. But I will never root for Colorado State. Well, you don't have to root for them. Just enjoy a, another okay. local t- team uh, that's pretty young doing good things. And David Roddy is, is super fun. So. Um, yeah, they actually – they're playing Boise State twice. Oh, wow. Have you looked at the Mountain West conference schedule this year? Yes, it's they, fucking weird. Well, they, so they're doing that for COVID reasons. Yeah, um, I get they that. They play back-to-back, 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 back-to-back. Yeah, and so, they're yeah, they're playing Boise State twice at home this week, which mm-hmm. is going to be weird. Boise State's ranked, I think. They are 26th. Ah, okay. So right ahead of us. Uh, yeah. What, who's coaching your team? Oh God, this is much harder. I have a lot of coach crushes. <laughs> uh, I like I said, I love Ed Cooley coach teams. I was Providence. just thinking of Ed Cooley. Uh, yeah. man. Um, I love Bob Huggins teams. I love Bob Huggins. Um, those are, geez, those might be the top two outside of the classic, you know, Coach K garbage. But he's being bad this year, so um, I, I'll probably go Bob Huggins. Where, where could I go with a bunch of just combo players who can dull drive and Jay do Wright. a little bit of everything? Mm, no, I don't like uh, – okay. that's too easy. That's um, too easy. Anyone fun? Offensively? Honestly, yeah. you mentioned UNC Greensboro. Wes Miller at UNC Greensboro is a really good offensive head coach. Who I'm surprised that's... he hasn't been picked up from someone yet. Um, John Brandon at Cincinnati is a really fun head coach who's pretty new. Um, Chris Mack, I think, does a good job making people look good at Louisville. Um, I like Chris Mack's Xavier team, so I, I'll, I'll go with him. He's also, yeah, he's just a fun coach. And oh, uh, uh, who's the Ohio State guy? Chris Holtman is also pretty good. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'll take it. Do you wanna do you wanna cap us off with some football news? Yeah, let's finish up. So the only real thing of note. The only confirmed transfer in right now is um, a guy by the name of Robert Barnes, who I think symbolically represents a lot of good things for CU moving forward and also on the field should should add some help. So um, Darian Makestraw is transferring out, as is Akil Jones, um, and a few other pieces that, that are pretty big on the defensive side. Um, Robert Barnes is probably going to play right away, and he actually is a, kind of a mix of those two players. So... He was a safety recruited out of high school, near a five-star um, from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, went to Oklahoma. He was asked to play linebacker, basically put on some weight and be a fast linebacker, a la Eric Stryker, if you remember Eric Stryker. Um, nope. 
from Oklahoma. Okay, well, too bad. He was an All-American. So uh, <laughs> he did that for a little bit, played some, and then he was switched back to secondary this year in the past and last year because of injuries. So he, he stepped in to be a, a starting safety at Oklahoma. Um, he grad transferred because there wasn't really a spot for him moving forward in the starting role, and CU was lucky enough to, to pick him up. Um, do you have any thoughts on him before I keep going? I mean, yeah. So he's like, what, like 6'3", 220, super fast. Like, I think he has like 4'6 speed. Um, really highly touted. He's had some hamstring issues. Really, uh, Adam Munster Tiger had an interview with someone who called him like a, just a really intelligent player, a really hard worker and a good teammate. So that all sounds really good. Yeah, so I guess what I, what I like about it, too, is just the symbolic, um, number one, transfer portal is a go for, for CU, and I can talk a little bit about that in a second. Number two, uh, he's a Dallas-Fort Worth player, and CU needs to continuously emphasize that area in recruiting. Um, LaVisca Chenault came from there. Katie Nixon came from there, who's also transferring out. Um, and, you know, it's just a, so much talent is there and is either overlooked or processed out from, from other – places that recruit that CU needs to have a presence um and I think that's a good good way to, to re-emphasize that um and lastly I think it shows that CU is looking for athletes and back there as opposed to just good football players so Darian Rakestraw is someone I consider a good football player um but I think Robert Barnes is a noticeable step up in athleticism and I think hopefully we'll see that bear out um I think it's it's a good sign moving forward on what CU wants to look at um the other the other so moving forward like about that uh along those lines i should say there are some there's some nice twitter smoke about some linebackers that might be grad transferring in uh there are a lot of options there's just the transfer portal this year is insane for all teams so with the loss of akil jones the transfer portal and the i think after we saw how the defense looked when Nikhil Jones and uh, Nate Lamon were out. The need for a new linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely some n- nice positive Twitter tea leaves from this program that they're looking actively. Um, it's public already, obviously, that they offered Jack Lamb, who's a four-star transfer linebacker from Notre Dame. Um, I think they were actually his first offer coming out of Notre Dame. So that would be a guy that you can play right away. He's physically ready. Um, and he's, he's actually a little bit bigger than Nate Lamon is, um, which is wow. crazy. The other nice thing about that is he's another NorCal linebacker in the vein of Nate Lamon. So I think that's a pretty easy sell in terms of what you can do for that guy. Um, there are some other names that we're looking at that are less positive or concrete, but in general, it looks like CU is trying to reload on the, at least the defensive side of the ball pretty quick. Um, we also have some news on the outgoing transfers. So Darian Rakestraw decided to go to Tulane, and KD Nixon is going to USC, and that surprised me quite a lot. Do I? <laughs> I, I think that's wild. I think that's insane. I did not think that was going to be his landing spot. I don't. I don't even know if he's gonna like play there. He he struggled for playing time at the end of his senior year here. Uh, he might be more amenable to Just, being used in the slot role or a uh, a offensive weapon role. Probably offensive weapon and special teams, I imagine. But 
from all accounts, everyone we've talked to says that Katie Nixon was a great guy. Um, and I, I think I can also attest to that. He, I he think he was a natural media personality and I'm glad mm-hmm. he found a landing spot like that, that I think naturally um, caters to that part of him. So I think LA is a nice spot and I'm glad for him. It sucks that we have to play against him. Um, but I, I did, I was not expecting him to, go to a place where not only is it in conference and he struggled to get some playing time at CU it's in conference and has a better wide receiving core than CU, which can't be said for most other teams. So, um, I don't know. Good for him. Yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see. Tulane um, is a good spot for Rake Stroud though. Close to his family in Georgia. They had, they are a pretty solid program, especially in the AAC. So, um, I, I like that place. Yeah. Good school too. Good. Go, go, Greenway, go get your masters there. Former SEC powerhouse Tulane. Oh, wow. That's crazy that they hopped off. All right. Um, do we have anything else? Not in terms of concrete news. I, I like we said, CU plays quite a bit in the next few weeks on, on in basketball. Uh, all at home. Next game, let me pull it up really quick. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Is Washington State on Wednesday at late. It looks seven. like, yeah, Seven Mountain. Um, and the Game times are just announced for a few other games. So Arizona State's at 9 p.m. on Thursday, February 4th, so a week mm-hmm. after that. And then Arizona, I think, is at 6 on that Saturday. So, yeah, also Utah's at 7.30 on Saturday night. Yep, all those at home. Those are actually pretty well spaced out, so I wouldn't really worry too much about rest or, you know, the NBA back-to-back stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing to watch right now. I don't know. Football's yet to hire a defensive coordinator or even a strength coach. So, uh Sit back and enjoy this basketball team while you can and watch McKinley Wright while you can. Yeah. All right, Jack. I'm done. Yep, I'm done. See you. Bye. Buzz.